Welcome to SpreadCloud's first podcast. According to the World Bank, 1 billion people experience some sort of disability. This represents 15% of the world population. One-fifth of those, or between 110 million and 190 million people, experience significant disabilities. How can development teams make sure that websites and apps are accessible to this large part of the population as well? That's what we're looking into today in SpreadCloud's first podcast. I'm Marion Mollier, and two of my colleagues, Martin Connington, who's the CEO at SpriteCloud, and Rul Weicker, who is part of our team of testers, are joining me to discuss accessibility testing today. What is it? Who's it good for? Spoiler, it's good for everybody. And how can you get started with it? That's what we're looking into. You can find all the accessibility testing guidelines we will discuss, sources and additional resources on www.spritecloud.com podcast. That is www.spritecloud.com slash podcast. So let's dive in. Roel, Martin, can you start by introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about your link to accessibility testing? Yes, of course. Well, I'll, I'll take the lead in this then. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm Roel. I've been working at SpriteCloud for, oh, well, last two, uh, two weeks ago was my fourth, fourth uh, four-year anniversary. And accessibility testing is something for me that came up during my first assignment, actually, for Sprite Cloud. So that would be four years ago at uh, Tele2, where we were um, pointed by some customers of the product that we were working on that accessibility was uh, non-existent. And that's what made us uh, change it around real quick. But we'll get to that uh, later. I'll, uh, I'll give the word to Martin. Thank you. My name is Martin Cunnington. I'm a director here at Sprite Cloud. I've been working on the web more or less since it came up. My interest in accessibility started, I think, in London when I was working for an agency just around the corner for, from the Royal National Institute of the Blind. So um, we had a connection through a um, a very enlightened technical director who invited a representative to, from the RNIB to come round to have a look at our work with us. And um, the, uh, the person came round. He was uh, registered blind. He had a dog. He sat at the front of the, uh, the room, the meeting room, and he went through our website with us. And uh, the result was shocking. Uh, we were flabbergasted at just how bad our designs and websites were to use if you weren't, um, if you didn't have 100% vision, 100% hearing, 100% uh, physical motion, and so on and so forth. And we had no idea that um, what we were doing was so unusable to such a chunk of the uh, well, world's population, as it turned out. Um, so from that uh, moment on, it struck me that everything we did on the web should be designed from the beginning to be inclusive, not exclusive. And uh, that, that interest has been with me ever since. Perfect. Thank you for the introduction. 
If you happen to research accessibility testing, you will come across something along the lines of it's the practice of making websites and apps usable by everyone. As simple as that. But that doesn't tell us how to test for accessibility. So, Roux, what do you start with when you perform accessibility testing? Well, normally when, well, I, uh, let's, let's say that we were testing an app on a mobile device. I would install the app and immediately go to the device settings itself and set the font to the biggest you can find that it can be set to. Maybe even uh, make them bold. Uh, sometimes you can even make them metallic or change the colors to a higher contrast and then see what the app looks like. I guarantee you that nine out of 10 times uh, buttons won't be visible anymore. Uh, they'll be pushed out of the screen and then the uh, the screens they didn't think about about this so they can't scroll down so uh, users will be stuck from the get-go and the, the, when i look around a lot of my, my parents a lot of parents of my friends they all have their phones set to a bigger size so that's usually where i start and second is uh, using the voiceover voiceover uh, commands the screen reader to have the voice from the operating system read out what is on screen. If those two things already work, you're making very, very much a big, you know, a lot of progress. And then after that, I would uh, uh, go sit down with the team in a meeting and ask them what they think about how we could extend this. And I would probably steer to uh, colorblind people so we could change the contrast in the app itself. Uh, there's also an option that the operating system would, would do this, and then I would try and set this up and give them the results. Like, this is what your app looks like when the contrast is set to this or that. Uh, does the designer agree? Does it have any impl uh, implications for uh, the, the logos that we use? Uh, are we using logos from different companies that they don't want us to change the colors? But is it then still um, readable for uh, uh, other people? That's where I would uh, would always start. And from there on, uh, yeah, consult with the team or get a, uh, say a research, a user research on the people that are using your app. How many people actually have this problem? Uh, and if there are a lot, then you could always tell upper management, like, if we fix this, there's a lot of people that can use our app more and better, which in the end will give us better reviews because we thought about this. And probably if you sell something through the app, uh, more revenue because people can actually use it now. So they can buy something through your uh, through your service. That's a way to uh, convince um, yeah, people on a tight budget. Like in the end, it will actually gain you money. And even if you don't have the data, we saw earlier that about 15% of the world's population experiences some sort of disability. So you can probably assume that about this percentage of your consumers uh, would be happy about some sort of adaptation. So how do we make apps and websites accessible? Maybe Martin, you can help us answer this question. Yes, certainly, thank you. Um... I think um, a good place to start is um, who are we designing for? 
And the answer will typically be everybody. So we need to uh, bear in mind that according to which place you look, you find that perhaps 15 to 20% of the world's population experience some form of disability, which is about a billion people. So if you're in marketing, uh, for instance, you might say to yourself, gosh, um, I don't want to exclude a billion people. I'd better include them. But, but what are we actually talking about? Um, we're to, uh, vision impairment is one thing, for example. Um, somebody might not be able to see quite as well as somebody else. Um, what does that mean? Does it mean that somebody is actually uh, registered blind? No, it's not necessarily that. Uh, for instance, I wear bifocals, so um, I have to move my head around to see things. And when I do that, uh, the screen blurs and the copy blurs, text blurs, colours run into each other. It's a bit of a, bit of a mess, really. Um, so vision impairment can be all shades of can't quite see very well to not being able to see at all. I'll come back to what that means in practice in a minute. Hearing impairments, um, there might be um, something going on on the website that needs you to listen to it. Well, okay, is the person you're playing that sound to able to listen to it? Do they have a, uh, an impediment of their own? Or is the environment they're in an impediment? For example, if you're trying to listen to somebody giving a speech in an internet cafe on a, without a pair of headphones, there's going to be interference all around you. An example of vision impairment is your screen is covered in gunk. Uh, you're looking at a mobile phone and it's covered in water because you're outside. You can't see the screen properly. Another vision impairment is you uh, are, are unable to differentiate certain colours. Red and blue is quite, red and green, I'm sorry, is quite a common one. All sorts of things going on to impair your vision. Physical disability is another aspect to take into account. This means you might not have full motor control, so you're, you may not be able to use a mouse. Well, you may not be able to use a mouse on a desktop, but um, you may not be able to use a mouse because you're using a phone, so the mouse doesn't work at all. Or you may have gloves on so that your uh, fine motor control is lost. You can't point very accurately. Other conditions you might experience uh, in normal life, whether or, or not you have mental health conditions, is there, there could be something that just uh, doesn't work for you. So um, some people are easily distracted. I know, for instance, if I go shopping for clothes in a shop with TVs in every corner, I will look at the TVs and I will not look at the clothes. I've learned that over time. I cannot stop looking at the TVs. So I end up buying no clothes in those shops because I'm so distracted. We'll, we also have um, intellectual disability that um, you know, some people get it, some people don't. Um, it, obviously, that's a very crude uh, definition. But something that's obvious to me on the screen may not be obvious at all to somebody else. So having common standards uh, is very useful for that. So, for example, a lot of companies will put their logo top left. Navigation will be at the top. Top right in an e-commerce world might be the basket. These are common standards. You can put them somewhere else, but 
when you do that, you'll find that other people don't find them. So those are a number of uh, aspects to take into account when testing. It's called accessibility testing, but I really think it's testing for everybody. Not everybody is going to be able to experience the website you're working on, on a mobile phone, your uh, app you're working on, in perfect conditions. That needs to be taken into account if you want your users to experience the site in the way you, you desire, and if you want them to get the point of your website. If there's a message you're trying to get across, or there's something you're trying to sell, or whatever it is, you need to make sure that the majority of people can get to what you need them to get to the majority of times. And saying that, oh well, a certain segment of the market doesn't matter, or people who can't do that, well, you know, let's, uh, let's just leave them out in the cold. I don't think that's acceptable. Definitely not. In this perspective, Ro, how would you uh, go about creating products that can be used by everybody? I think that it also starts with the design to make that inclusive. Because if inclusive design is like, it's a design methodology that enables and draws on the full range of human diversity. And Martin already said, like, some people have maybe uh, impaired vision or are, are completely blind. Or on the other hand, people that I don't know lost an arm, so they can only use uh, one arm to control a mouse, and that might not be their dominant hand. And on the other hand, there's also people that might have broken their arm, so they're temporarily not able to use that mouse. It's not always that you would make uh, an app accessible to like only blind people, but maybe to people that have a, a lesser vision or to people that um, had an operation done on their eye or had them lasered. So their vision will be blurry for the upcoming weeks. So there's a, a little bit of a diversity in that. And the way that we found this, or that I found this the first time was for Tele2 where they made a new app and the old app was just pushed out of the store. We pushed in the new one and then we uh, got some customers on Twitter, actually. There is a um, an organization in the Netherlands, especially uh, made for well, people with vision disabilities. And they tweeted to tell it to like, your app does not support any uh, any options for uh, visually impaired people you cannot make the fonts any larger and um, an iphone cannot read the the screen and that's when we started tested on that the first time and when, when i tested that the first time manually it was quite a quite a shocker actually because they were right none of it was was in place the 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 things that the um what is it siri read out to uh, the user was to completely not what was in the screen and because it made such a fuss on the social media at that time, uh, our team, our product owner decided that it was supposed to be a priority from there on out. So we had like two or three sprints where we solely worked on the voiceover on iOS, which I have to say, uh, Apple does very, very well. They have these uh, labels called accessibility labels, which a developer can add to any element in the app. and 
it reads out whatever you put in the accessibility label. So it was actually uh, very easily done. And on Android, on the other hand, you have way more segmentation in brands, but also in the type of screen reader that you can use. So there's a lot of third parties. That took us uh, way longer to actually figure out, but in the end we did. And um, we sent people the, um, the notification the customers that experience difficulties like we updated our app are you willing to change your review of the app and they actually did so yeah it became uh obvious to the company too that the the um the reviews rose in like the, the amount of stars that we got like this was a very good uh, investment to make because now everybody more people can actually use the app which is on a commercial level also very interesting because you just broaden your uh, the group of people that you can service with your app. So potentially more money to be made. And I think that's what actually drew draw, drew them over the line from we got to work on this because we are missing out on uh, customer service, but also on revenue from uh, our app. Ro, would you say that before this incident on social media, accessibility was something that was considered important or did it take the back seat? Well, I came in to this team making the new app, so I have no experience with the app that they had before, but apparently that already had a lot of accessibility labels in place, so that worked fine, and now it was missing, so people were like, hey, you made a new app, but uh, it doesn't feel like it's an improvement over the former one for uh, for me as a, as a user with a uh, visual impairment, so yeah. There's also the aspect of uh, accessibility running into usability. Um, the, the subject is so, for instance, how many times have you visited a website to find that you, you're looking at uh, light grey text on a slightly darker grey background that's almost unreadable? Um, how many times have you listened to a video where there's a part which is important? It might contain a phone number or something of that nature. And you don't hear it the first time, so you have to try and rewind it and hear it again. Still can't hear it. Try it again. How many times have you visited a website and you're scrolling down and maybe a pop-over, pop-under or combination thereof takes over the screen and you can't find the uh, close button? because it's not top left, they've moved it bottom right or something. So you're stuck looking at an advert, for instance, and you can't go any further. How many times have you tried to fill in a web form? You've come to the end and pressed OK, and it's not done anything. And despite your best efforts, you can't find where the error is, because the error flagging is so weak. These are all taken into account very simple accessibility standards that lead into the usability of the site for everybody. And again, I, I really believe that these um, issues should be taken into account from the beginning. And as Roll says, you start with design. It's where people get uh, excluded by the design. And until two, this was obvious because the exclusion uh, happened when like the designers tried to solve the problem using their own biases. So from their experience, it was like, yeah, this is what these people want. This is what we think works best for these kind of people for our uh, target group. But that was just from their own point of view. And when we actually got into contact with 
uh, the people that were in this case like visually impaired, it's like, oh, we never actually thought about it in in that sense. So we might have to change our design around the other way. I was looking up uh, disability because uh, uh, accessibility usually the first thing is like, yeah, we're we're gonna do make it accessible because people with a disability need to be able to use this as well. And we have like a a part of the nineteen. 80s from the World Health Organization is that uh, the disability is seen as a personal attribute in the context of health experience, a disability is a restriction or lack of ability uh, resulting from an impairment to perform an activity in the manner or within the range considered normal for human beings. But now, these days, disability is uh, seen as a context dependent so disability is not just a health problem it's a complex phenomenon reflecting the interaction between features of a person's body and the features of the society in which he or she lives so like in what is it almost 40 years the um the disability has been well the way that we look at it or the world health organization looks at it is changed as well i think the um strong connection between accessibility and disability is actually false these days. Um, I think uh, the context, as Roald said, is, is very much uh, more important and is more recognised. So this morning when I got to work, um, I was wearing a, a COVID mask and my glasses steamed up and I was trying to see through that to my phone which was had a few raindrops on it, to use the door key app. So first of all, I had to find it. First of all, I had to turn my phone on. I was wearing gloves, so it couldn't take the uh, pin code. And then it didn't recognize my eye because my glasses are steamed up. So then I took my glasses off. Now I'm short-sighted looking at the phone, which is covered in water, trying to find the app. When I found the app, it started, but the text was too small for me to work out exactly what I was doing. So by the time I got it to work, I was, uh, I was um, quite upset. And that's just a small example of these days your life revolves around your phone. It's small. You can't see it that well in bright sunshine. Can't see it at certain angles wearing sunglasses and if it's damp and so on and so forth. All sorts of things going on. A lot of the issues you face can be eased by taking into account accessibility at the beginning. And having design, check those situation out first and then try to design around it instead of uh, just creating a an app and then have us testers go at it like, would this also work if I was holding a baby or would this also work if I had an eye patch? Um, I think it works best if designers already think about those kind of situations and uh well for example people that are colorblind i at the project that i'm working on right now is uh we had a couple of these things with the voiceover which did work so i gave a little presentation about uh, the accessibility it's like you know how about we just make a switch in our app that changes the contrast around or the colors around for people that are colorblind and there's not just one type of colorblindness I think there are three major ones that go uh, people have. So you have to have three switches, but this 
in in hindsight for the designers, like, oh, so we now have to make three different color designs that actually look good, but also work for these people. That's going to take a lot of work. But yeah, if you thought about it before, we wouldn't have that. And of course, there's a lot of things in phones right now where you can just change it and all the apps change. But um, then the brands, for example, like a, a big banks or, or anything, are like, yeah, but they now the operating system changes our colors and we have this set of rules that say that you cannot change the color of my logo. But then the operating system itself does that. So when this came to uh, to conversation, yeah, well, we can take matter into our own hands and just change it the way that we like and it still works. But yeah, that's going to be... Um, a lot of extra work, and uh, also, also of course, needs to get tested. I wonder how they did these kind of things back in the day. That's that's a good question. Um, in the beginning, we would do it manually, following uh, the W. Oh, I get this wrong. Done it. WCAG guidelines, level A, level AA, and so on, and. Once we had done that for a few projects, I was in a development team at the time, we found that it became second nature. So for instance, don't put text over a photograph or an image that's got lots of colors in it. Put it against a block of color so it can be more easily read. That's a simple one. Uh, another simple one is we want to use the tab key the input fields should rotate in a logical order, typically clockwise. That's another easy one. Things like um, form data checking and error handling, so that if you put a phone number in and it's it's got um, characters which, which are not recognised in the phone, as phone numbers then to put up an error message against that field that says, I'm sorry, we've got a problem with your phone number. We were expecting this format. That became second nature. Before we had that discipline, what we would do is we would throw an error at the bottom of the form that said error or wrong phone number. We wouldn't indicate the field and we wouldn't tell you what was wrong with the phone number or what we were expecting. So we knew what we wanted, but we weren't telling the user that. And we accepted very quickly that that was not best practice. So a lot of the uh, guidelines we use manually were uh, built into house standards very quickly because they made a lot of sense. We were also using voice readers like JAWS at the time. Um, but there were certain levels that our clients uh, were prepared to go to. So our house standard was somewhere between WCAG level A and level AA. And I would argue that the websites we produced using those standards were more usable for everybody than the websites we'd been producing before. They were just as creative, they were just as exciting, they were just as dynamic, but they were more usable. And the secret source was the accessibility standards that we were using behind the scenes, which was the WCA, WCAG standards, which are still there now. America has section 508, very similar to the W3C standards. The EU Directive 2102 is out there now. If I'm correct, then that directive requires 
standards to be applied to European websites from now or from this summer anyway. So we should all be doing it. I'm not quite sure why we're not. I'm not quite sure why some clients don't take this route from the very beginning. I I've think heard... I have an idea. Yes? Money and time. I mean, yes. It's, it's, uh, that was, at least for my experience, uh, when when accessibility came up, it's like the the upper management goes like, all right, this is probably important, but how much time is it going to cost? How much is it going to slow down the next feature that we actually want to, to bring to our uh, service? And if that's too long or it's going to cost them too much, yeah, time is money in that in that sense always. It's like, yeah, well, maybe we'll rush over this for now. We'll, we'll maybe adapt to it later. And then later becomes uh, never? Yeah, there's this touching from outstyle comes upstyle, which uh, means that if you postpone it, you on the long run, you're just not going to do it. You're going to cancel it. Yes, yeah, so I think there's a, there's a lot wrong with that approach. It, it is literally short-sighted. As we've described earlier, management taking those decisions are excluding around 20% of them target market. <laughs> why, why would they do that? Well, yes, on, this, this is, of course, one of the, the things that I think well, is, is the short-sighted version because um, the points of exclusion, they will help uh, generate new ideas for, and inclusive design, which broadens the, the, the group of people that actually can use your service. So on the longer run, it actually might help you get more people using your service, which will automatically or automatically will probably create more revenue, more income. It's just an investment that you have to make. There's a, uh, there's a story uh, at the beginning when the web took off, uh, supermarkets based in the United Kingdom looked to the web to expand their sales. And uh, without naming names, one supermarket designed from the ground up to be accessible and the others, the other major supermarkets did not. They didn't think of it, they didn't think it was necessary. What happened was the site that was designed by the supermarket that took accessibility into account from the first place was easier to use. It was also the only site that was usable for anybody with a disability, which as we said is 15 to 20% of the population. Result of all this was that the supermarket that took the uh, accessibility guidelines into account in the first place absolutely cleaned up, dominated the supermarket online e-commerce market because the other sites were literally not usable. Thank you, Martin. That's a great example to use if you're faced with colleagues who don't see the value in taking accessibility standards into account or they think it's too time consuming or too expensive. If you're one step further and as a development team you want to you want to make more inclusive apps and websites, how do you get started? If you Google the subject, uh, research, there's a, there's a number of excellent checklists available. And it's surprising how easy a lot of the guidelines are to implement if you just accept that by doing it uh, you're going to make your deliverable more accessible to more people. 
one way of looking at it is that by following the guidelines, you are ensuring the largest number of people can read and operate what you're delivering, regardless of their ability or circumstances. And that must be a good thing. The guidelines we're talking about are well established. There are testable success criteria. There are lists of techniques you can use. So onboarding this for the first time, uh, it's eye-opening. And once you've done it, you wonder why you didn't do it earlier. And I can, I can assure you, you, you will keep going with it because it just feels uh, the right thing to do. And the work you're producing is uh, available to more people more easily. So, hey, do that. Um, lastly, from my point of view, the, the guidelines, by using the guidelines, it also makes you as a human being think about other people, their circumstances and their abilities. And that's a good thing, too. Uh, I was educated to be a designer, and one of the weird things when I look back on it is like we never actually, as designers, learned from our school to be inclusive in our design. We just we were taught to target one group of people. That's who it should work for. Nobody else around it matters anymore. So if a blind person could not use our app, we would just go, "Yeah, well, it's not made for blind people." So yeah, sorry, which is in practice, a really weird thing. And then becoming a manual tester, uh, when I started out, it, one of the things that I tried to do was like break the app in, like putting the fonts to really big. It's like, oh, well, now it breaks. But what, uh, it, looking back at it, it's like, it, it's a very important, accessible testing uh, uh, start, starting point, I think. Um, Trying to break the app in that way made me think about, oh, wait, but there's people that cannot see. So um, there's two options here. We could just make the uh, service in a way that they cannot actually uh, make the font any bigger. So, well, that solves it. The bug is actually solved. But what it does is introduce a whole lot of exclusion to other people that have uh, uh, bad vision. And so going on to that was like, oh, we also have people that cannot hear. So I got a very much experience from hands-on and then thinking uh, as a user, being a, a, a designer first, uh, gave me a lot of experience with that. And then when Martin came with the, with the rules that he posted, like, oh, this is a, a very good set of, well, texts and rules that I could just throw against the teams that I am working with. Like here, I, I, I could try to explain why this is all important, but here, this is uh, what we could do and why it is important. So I, I don't necessarily have to do it uh, out of my own experience anymore. So these, these guidelines were very, very helpful. But I think that every, even every European country has its own set of rules for uh, accessibility and inclusiveness. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, as far as I can see, the Netherlands guidelines are actually uh, dependent on the World Wide Web guidelines, W3C. Um, so those, the ones that are truly different, I think, are slightly different. I'm sorry, are the Section 508 USA, but they, they're all, they're all pulling in the same direction. So if you're in any any, any country, you would go for the worldwide ones, I think. 
We will post the links to the guidelines and other interesting resources on accessibility testing on our website with this podcast. Now, let's wrap this up with one last question for Roel. What is the response when you introduce these accessibility guidelines for the first time in a team? Is it something that people know of or is it a bit of a surprise? Yeah, in practice, um, I always, well, you always get, um, it, it, yeah, this is not on our roadmap, sir. So uh, I'm very sorry, but uh, we don't have the budget. Or we don't have the people for it. So it's like, yeah, okay. I try to give them a, you know, an, an example of their services themselves where I then, I don't know, put the fonts to very big or I use the, the voiceover and just have them listen to it or look at it. Like, this is what your service also does. And it does not work correct. So just imagine you being a customer to your own service. How would you feel if this was what we would have made for you as a company? And then is when people start frowning. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't actually look at it like that. Is this a big impact? Yeah, we should do something about it. But just telling somebody that you should make your app accessible for everyone usually ends up in, well, at least in my experience from like being hands-on on the working floor, like, yeah, 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 we'll talk about that later, or uh, we don't have the time for it. Okay, so you have to present it a bit more in a how to make your customers happy perspective. Yes, yes, but once the, the, once the that ball starts rolling and they've seen what uh, what we can do and then get or ask for positive reactions from the people that we actually made it for. Uh, it gives the team a, a a good feeling about their product and themselves, and also a uh, how do you say that more um, self assured about the, the quality. And so uh, when when they start on it, it usually uh, contributes in like the all the next levels of the product. Every next step, like oh, but wait, we we need to put in the accessibility stuff from the get-go now. So we already got that managed. And then when you keep working on it, like maintaining it is a lot easier than introducing it for the first time. So that's maybe a good bridge or closing. We can see accessibility uh, testing is really good for everybody, be it the user in need of adaptations or the developers and testers who can feel good about their work. Yeah, I think it's your responsibility as a tester, especially a functional tester, to test it for everyone. So think about all the the situational things that could happen from somebody who has just had a kid to somebody who has lost an arm to somebody who has a cast around their arm. And introduce that from the very get-go. You don't have to like push it, but at least make them aware. You've said it and you wrote it down, so eventually they will have to come to it. Thank you, Ru. Martin, do you have any closing remarks for us? Well, um, thank you for the opportunity to talk about the subject. So I think it is important. I think it um, has been for many years the next big thing. And I think uh, I'm looking forward to it being the next big thing. We should, as an industry, be taking into account these standards from the very beginning. And I would urge anybody listening who's not doing that to simply do a little research, take it on board and start doing it. Let's make the world a more accessible place. That's a great word to end on. Thank you very much, 
Ruel Martin, for taking the time to discuss this with me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And many thanks to you who listened to our first podcast episode. You can find the links to additional resources on accessibility testing and inclusive design, as well as sources on our website. Have a nice day.